Greetings and welcome back to the OU's Shnaim Mikra. And my name is Yitzhak at Shalom. I'm privileged to be participating in this wonderful program. And today we will look at the fourth Aliyah of our parsha, Parashat Lech Lecha. In this parsha, in this uh, story, Perak Yodalad, the uh, bulk of which really has nothing to do with our lead characters of Avraham, Sarai, uh, even Lot, there is a war that is waged between four major uh, kingdoms and empires in the Mesopotamian Valley that have taken over the Near East and have controlled the whole area of the east of Jordan. There are many maps of this uh, particular parish that are worth looking at. Uh, and through the Sinai. And one of the areas that they controlled was the Jordan Valley that included Sodom and Amorai, and for 13 years, people there were enslaved to these kings of the east. There was a rebellion, and in the context of that rebellion, the kings of the east came back and shut down the rebellion and took captives. That's the only reason the story is here, because in the story, the kings from the east take Lot and his family and all of his property captive and start taking them back towards uh, the north, which of course is the only way to travel from the Levant, from Israel, to the Mesopotamian area. You can't go directly east, even though on a map it would look like it because it's all desert. You have to go north through Damascus, through southern Turkey perhaps, and then follow the Euphrates down. So that's the direction that they're taking. Uh, the um, the very interesting piece in this, and there are quite a number of them, but it shows up in uh, Pasuk Yodalad. Um, the uh, Avraham summons his men. Parenthetically, the word Chanichav is an Egyptian word, which means retainers or officers. He chased the um, kings and their armies all the way to Dan. Now, it's not entirely clear from the context and from the text of the Psukim what Avraham was successful in doing. Did he defeat the kings themselves? Did he uh, attack their rear guard with this nighttime uh, ambush and therefore was able to take the... Um, the uh, captivity, uh, the captives uh, who were at the back of the camp to take them away, but that's not our issue. Our issue here is simply the last two-letter word in this pasuk, vayudof adan. And the reason this is such a critical word is because it's a lightning rod for Bible critics to take a look and say, you see that the text of the Bible is actually far later, uh, far newer than uh, traditional belief would have it, because after all, the location called Dan, which we're familiar with, which is in the northern part of Israel, is a location that was only named Dan in the times of the Shoftim. Here's the story. The uh, the tribe of Dan, who of course was a son of Yaakov, uh, that tribe was originally allotted territory when they entered the land that is in the area of Tel Aviv. And that's why the whole area around Tel Aviv is known as Gush Dan. And if you take a look in Yehoshua Yotet, towards the end, you'll see the list of cities that Dan was given, and they include Yafo, they include Bnei Brak, they include Yehud, they include a number of cities that we are familiar with today, and cities in that area, Tzoran, Eshtaol, that cut from the coast all the way towards Yerushalayim and towards the area of Yehuda. 
um, Don, as we read at the very end of the first chapter of Shoftim, was unsuccessful in conquering any of their territory. And as such, they stood in direct opposition to Shevet Yehuda that successfully conquered nearly all of its territory. Don conquered none of it and remained in some sort of an army camp, Machnei Dan, Mashur Yehuda, and then finally in Shoftim Yodchet, we hear a story that took place not at the end of the period of the Shoftim, because the last five chapters took place earlier, but rather at an earlier time during the Shoftim period, where they sent five scouts to find some land that was vulnerable that they could conquer. These five scouts ended up going to the north to a town called Laish, or perhaps Leshem. In Yeshua it's one way, in Shoftim it's another way, Laish or Leshem, a beautiful town that was isolated, that was wide, a wide area. They found this town, they came back and reported to the to Shevetan that this is a place we could conquer, they don't have any allies, they're far away from Sidon, and therefore we can conquer them. They came back with 600 men, and along the way captured Michaz Pesel, and Reed and Shoftim Yudchet. They went up and conquered that territory, and at the end of the paragraph it says, they renamed the place Dan B'Shem Dan Aviham, and that report also shows up in Yoshua Yudet, <coughs> that that's what happened, which means that at the time of the giving of the Torah, that area was not called Dan. At the time of the giving of the Torah, that area was called Laish or Leshem. Now let's roll back. We're reading a story about Avram. And to hear that Avram went to a place called Dan is very bizarre. Because after all, Dan is going to be Avram's great-grandson. So there are several ways to approach this. One way to approach it is to say that there was a place called Dan or some other person named Dan that a town was named after or an area was named after that was in that part of the world. That's possibility one. Possibility two, of course, is the direction the critics take, which is to say this pasuk was either written or modified or whatever it is hundreds of years later when the area was called Dan. One thing that does become clear is it's very awkward to speak about a town that doesn't exist at the time of this event. Now, let's roll back one step. The fact that this town may not be called Dan in Avram's time doesn't bother us at all, because we do not claim that Sefer Breshit in its present form was written in Avram's time, even the stories about Avram. What our traditional understanding is, is that the Torah, as presented, certainly no later than the end of Moshe's life, was presented to Bnei Yisrael in the form that we have it today. Whether it's Sinai, or Vot Moav, Machloket, Megillah, Megillah, either way, certainly by the time Moshe um, left Bnei Yisrael, went up to Harnavo, and didn't come back, Bnei Yisrael had a Sefer Torah that looked like what we have today, which means Vayodof Adan was something that was written by Moshe. So if the place was not called Don in Avram's time, that doesn't bother me. But the fact that in Moshe's time it wasn't called Don means that what Moshe is writing and giving to Bnei Israel makes no sense to Bnei Israel. Now the reason this is critical is as follows. One of the approaches taken in solving this problem is to say it's prophetic. Moshe is referring to a place that hundreds of years down the line will be called Don. There's nothing nothing to keep us from accepting that notion of prophecy. Certainly Moshe was Avhanavim. But the problem is that we're reading narrative that's describing an event with a geographical pinpoint. And so Moshe is telling the people, this is what happened. Avram chased them all the way to Don. That means Don has to be a place that the people will know. Otherwise, it'd have to be a note in it saying, So we'd say, okay, it's later we're going to call Don, but right now it's called Laish. And even that would be difficult. But there is no such note here. So, again, this is a reason that those who challenge the uh, traditional belief about the the um, 
legitimacy and stability of the biblical text, going back to Avraham, that the text of the Torah, going back to Moshe, sorry, uh, find this to be a, uh, an opportunity for to heighten that challenge and support for their position. Um, I'm going to briefly summarize something which is, and this is not a shameless, this is not a plug, but something that I wrote about at length in the volume one of, uh, of Between the Lines of the Bible, and recommend you reading it. And that is an approach that could explain uh, why this place might have been called Dan even in Moshe's time. Not Avram's time, but in Moshe's time. So that B'nai Yisrael would be familiar with a place in the northern part of Israel known as Dan. And to understand that, we have to roll back to the story, not of Avram, but of Yaakov. Remember that Avram was promised, and we're going to read about it in uh, in, in our parsha. We'll talk about it uh, in in uh, two podcasts from here. Brit ben Avatarim. In Brit ben Avatarim, Avram has promised your children are going to be foreigners in a strange land. They'll be oppressed for a really long time. Four hundred years is Tanakh lingo for a very long time. Many examples of this, and. The fourth generation will return here. I will, they will come back with great riches, etc. Now, roll down to two generations. Yaakov is exiled. Yaakov has to run away to save his life. He becomes a foreigner in a strange land, and he has worked very hard to his own testimony. He lives a life of oppression under Lavan. He comes very poor, and according to his own testimony, he leaves with great wealth. And the fourth generation, Avram, Yitzhak Yaakov, Yosef, because as far as he's concerned, the real wife is Rachel, so when Rachel finally has a child, that's the fourth generation, is exactly when, Avram, when, Mo, when Yaakov picks up and leaves. I want to go home. So in other words, it is the, the result of the birth of Yosef is that it's time for Yaakov to leave. Rabbi Salvechuk once suggested that Yaakov understood that he was living up Rit Ben Avatarim and it was time for him to come home. And so therefore he came home with all the wealth, the fourth generation returned and came to Eretz Yisrael. Now what happened when Yaakov came to Eretz Canaan? The first thing he did is to come, and we talked about this a couple of days ago in looking at the Ramban, he imitated Avram's steps, the first place he came to was Shechem. What was the result of his coming to Shechem? After the detente uh, with Esav, and then Esav went on his own way, he came to Shechem. What was the result of him being in Shechem? Ultimately, it was the conquest of the city. Shimon Levi wiped out all the males of the city, and uh, and uh, and Shechem was theirs. And Yaakov's concern at the end of that story was, I'm concerned that all of the locals are going to gang up against us. But in reality, take a look in Parak Lamed Hay, Pasuk Hay, the locals were afraid of them, and everybody was afraid of them. Everybody was afraid of the fear of God, and these people were, this family was able to march, and they continued, uh, moving south. And we read a little bit later on, in the beginning of the Yosef story, that many of the brothers, some of the brothers at least, are all the way in Shechem, in the area of Shechem, grazing their father's, shepherding their father's flock, while Yaakov lives in Hebron. There's no good reason for them to be 50 miles away in Shechem while Yaakov lives in Hebron, unless the reason is because they've already got their own business going there. Yehuda leaves the family, goes to Timnah, and Shimon Levi evidently are in the north. Ruvain seems to be in the north because he's in the vicinity. So the brothers are starting to spread out, which means 
perhaps that the brothers are starting to take a hold of the land and say, we know that this is the land we're promised. Evidently, time is not ripe. We're right now just a tribe, not a full nation. We're not ready to conquer it, but we're ready to start dividing it up. And so there's every reason to believe that Shimon and Levi took the city of Shechem, that Reuven took something in the area of Shechem, somewhere north. Yehuda, we see, goes to Timnah, which later becomes the land of Yehuda. And the rest of the brothers are very likely taking their own piece of the land for, for the future. And there's a very solid proof to this theory. And this is a theory proposed by Professor Yudal Litzur, Zichor Livracha, that if you take a look at the names of the children of Yaakov and the grandchildren of Yaakov, you will find that, men, the, the meaning that Yaakov's grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you will find that a number of them are named after locations that not coincidentally are smack within or right near the territory that their father or grandfather is going to inherit. As an example, a uh, famous name in the tribe of Menashe is Chefer. Tzofchad ben Chefer. Chefer, as you read in Yoshua, was the name of an ancient kingdom in Canaan, right in the middle of Menashe's territory. Shimron is somebody in Yisachar's family. Shimron is right in the territory between Zvulun and Yisachar. And most famously, here, Yosef lives in Egypt. Yosef has children, Ephraim and Asha. Menashe has a child, Machir, and Machir gives birth to a child and calls him Gilad. Why would Machir, living in Mitzrayim, as a third generation Egyptian, name his child Gilad, which are mountains that, by the way, happen to be right in the territory of the Machir is going to get? So evidently what it means is that already during the times of Yaakov and his children, the children started to divide up the land and identify with particular areas in the land. And they started naming their children after those areas. If that's the case, then it's indeed possible that Don already identified that area in the north as Don. But wait a second, time out. That doesn't work. Because you read in Yoshua that Don was given, allotted the land in, near Tel Aviv, not up near Matula. So what is, why is Don identifying with that? We have to keep one other thing in mind. There was a, what we might call a dramatic gerrymandering, territorial switch that took place as a result of the demand of God and Reuven. Remember, there was a map of Eretz Yisrael, we don't know what it looked like, that divided up the land among 12 tribes. All 12, Menashe and Ephraim, not Levi, that they were supposed to have land given to them. God and Reuven come up to Moshe, I mean bar Bet, and say, we want to stay on the East Bank. Moshe finally negotiates with them and, agree, and comes to an agreement, which means the map has to be redrawn. We don't know where God and Reuven were supposed to be, but now that they're there, the land is shifted around. The territory shifted around. So it's indeed possible that Don really was originally supposed to be in the north, that that place was always a place called Don. And as a result of the shift, Don was given the coastal land in the middle of the country, meaning middle on a north-south axis, and that's the area near Tel Aviv, Kushtan. They weren't successful in conquering it, so where did they go? They went back to the ancestral place that was theirs, that in the meantime, the locals had called Laish, but they reconquered it and called it Don, as they had always called it Don. And there was an allusion to this, if you take a look at the end of Sefer Devarim. First of all, when Moshe gives a bracha to Shevet Don, he gives the following bracha, Don Gur Aryeh Yizanik Min HaBashan. Don shoots forth like a lion out of the Bashan. The Bashan is in the Golan. What's Don doing up in... In the Golan, if Don's supposed to be near Tel Aviv. 
And the second thing is that at the very end of the Torah, in Perak Lamed Hashem takes Moshe up to Nevo and gives him a view of the land. And if you take a look at the Psukim, he starts by looking due north and goes west. So he's looking northwest and then west-northwest and then west and then south. And ends up looking at Yudah and Hayam Acharon. And in the beginning it says, Vayred Kolar, it's at Hagilad Adan, which means he's looking north and he's calling it Dan. Which means that there really was an understanding that Dan was originally supposed to be to the north. That now they had this area of Tel Aviv, the area of, the, of Yehuda Bnei Brak, but really the territory was in the north. So it's indeed possible that the area to the north had been known to Bnei Yisrael as they left Mitzrayim as Eretz Dan. And therefore, when Moshe says, Vayidof Adan, he's speaking a language that everyone there understands. Avram chased them all the way north to Dan. Forty years later, we're about to enter the land. God and Reuven make the request. The maps get shifted and Don suddenly gets another territory, which they're not successful in conquering, and they end up going back to the original territory. Don, famous as the dig and tell Don, in the northern part of Israel. So sometimes uh, the claims or the challenges that are presented to us with a clear look in the text and a look around the text and a reconstruction of how the history of the Avot played out based on the contextual clues actually gives us an understanding which demonstrates that, as is often the case, those who challenge traditional belief are not necessarily coming from a position of dedicated, diligent, rigorous study, but perhaps are coming from a particular agenda and with rigorous, diligent, uh, dedicated study we can indeed respond um, and, and understand that Vayudof Adan is not at all a challenge to our understanding of the text as being originally a mosaic text. Everyone should have a wonderful day.